I can't take your call right now. Leave a message. Hey, it's me, CJ. Just returning your call about the topic for next episode. Yeah, of course I'm onto it. I'm disappointed you'd think I wasn't. Uh, I'm a professional. We've talked about this before. I'm researching it right now. Yeah, can I just get your Wi-Fi password, mate? Thanks. Uh, yeah, because that's, uh, that's what us professionals do. We research things before episode. Yeah, and uh, two of the IPAs and, uh, and the stout. Thanks. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, I was just telling you how professional I was. Um, yeah, so we're looking, uh, we're talking about a guy named Dr. David Sinclair, who's a molecular, no, hang on, no, he's not. He's a genetic scientist um, who's doing research on uh, reversing aging at a DNA level. Uh, he's from Harvard, and he's written a book and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, does lots of experiments. Uh, yeah, and a packet of, the, yeah, packet of chips as well, thanks. So. Uh, yeah, so that's lots of experiments and shit. Uh, so it should be really interesting. Talk to you at the recording session. You know, CJ, sometimes I look at myself and think, who's that old fart? Yeah, you know, sometimes I think that when I look at you too. But I feel the same as I did in my 40s. What happened? Yeah, and your memory's going as well. Why don't we feel our age? Actually, yeah, I reckon there's a podcast in that. We could ask why society considers people who are over 50 years old. That's a great idea. No, I was just kidding. But but think about it. Every episode we can research a different topic related to ageing. That sounds like quite a lot of effort. And the other joys of ageing, like mailing a stool sample, working with millennials, and even mystery muscle pain. Actually, yeah. What does my shoulder hurt? Hey, we could talk about those unhelpful stereotypes like over 50s are forgetful and bad with technology. What's this button do again? Oh yeah. Welcome to What's My Age Again. This is me. And this is me. And welcome to What's My Age Again. Again. Okay, so CJ, what's in store for us this episode? Similar to the episode previously of Diets, Lifestyle and Shit, where we looked at Dr. Michael Rose's research, today we're going to have a look at the research of a guy named Dr. David Sinclair. Uh, he's a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School. And you can't say we're not highbrow. Fucking civilised. Uh, and <laughs> he's a uni of New South Wales boy. Oh. So he's an Aussie. There you go. He studies genetics and ageing. And he's on record as saying, have I heard any of his songs? He's got a uh, he's got a duet with uh, Beyonce. <laughs> he has gone on record, not one of those records, that the first person to live to 150 years has already been born. Well, of course, if he's wrong, nobody alive today is going to know. No one's going to call <laughs> him on it. See, you, you make a very valid point. <laughs> he can't be proven wrong. <laughs> You may have possibly cannonballed quite a lot of my research. And, <laughs> Oops, sorry. It's probably good as well because he's cemented his position in kind of medical history because he'll either be Dr. David Sinclair who correctly predicted that the first person lived to 150 had already been born in 2023 or Dr. David Sinclair who was proven wrong <laughs> and his genetic research failed. Okay, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. And uh, what are we drinking this week, CJ? We are drinking, well, I don't know about you, but what I'm drinking is I'm drinking a Valhalla Brewing Obsidian Black Ale. So Valhalla Brewing is a brewery down in Geelong, so named, I believe, because 
it like on the outskirts, like that an hour and a bit drive from the city. Uh, and somebody said, it's a long way. <laughs> so Obsidian Blacker, they also they have a, uh, if you're in Melbourne and you find yourself in Geelong, absolutely go and check out their brew tap house because they have some awesome brews on tap and they have lots of good stuff in cans and on tap as well. So Obsidian Blackout, at first sight, deep black calls to the furthest reaches of the traveller's souls, drawing on Ooh. ancient images of depravity. <laughs> and I hang on, sorry. I'll... Tell me more. Tell me more. Sorry, I was on a porn site. Um, <laughs> sense of cola and coffee with slight tendrils of raspberry greet intrepid travellers. It's harder to say than this is not something you'd be reading out loud after a couple of these. They wander deeper into the black depths, lost to the overwhelming depravity of the senses. The travellers are overcome with joy of coffee, toast and chocolate. They get lost in the herbaceous grass and clinging woods. And are roughly sodomized by the, <laughs> the notes. <laughs> you took that in a different direction to uh, where they were going. I think. Uh, this is 6.6% alcohol. It's a limited release, so you probably missed out on it anyway, actually. So sorry about that. Uh, but it's uh, it's very nice, very tasty. It's very black. And okay, yes, good work, uh, Valhalla. Excellent. Well, that sounds interesting. What's your beer again? My beer again, of course, is no beer at all again. Aldi again? No, 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 Aldi. No, I've given up on the Aldi. I've decided I'm the highbrow one. I'm going for the wine. Okay. And I'm drinking... A Barossa Shiraz. I think you're going to say Barocca. <laughs> I'm drinking a Barocca. <laughs> a Barossa Shiraz called Take It to the Grave. Mm, how appropriate for our subject. How appropriate for our subject, indeed. I will read some of what it says in the back. This is like a novel on the back uh, here, wow. but I'll read some of what it says. Old vine vineyards have a mind of their own, indifferent to the challenges of the season or the will of the vigneron, delivering tiny crops of intrinsic and expressive fruit. Okay. <laughs> Let me just read a little bit further on because that's getting a little bit much. The strength and character of each vineyard to create a complex and profound wine, a lifetime spent to discover the secrets of God. This is bullshit. <laughs> Not much worse than being sodomized by your beer, but... Yes. I was going to say, it's, uh, I'm not really in a position to make any comments. <laughs> Let's see. What does it taste like? Well, it, it tastes like wine to me, but <laughs> apparently there are aromas of blood plums and exotic spice. Is there a comma between the first two? <laughs> blood plums. <laughs> no comma. No, it's just blood plums. Uh, when our time comes, we will take our secrets to the grave. Happy in the knowledge that our wines will live long past us. So that's a very cheery wine. Yeah. Although if they're saying they're going to take their secrets to the grave, then presumably that would be the secret for the wine as well. So the wine's not going to live too much past them because they've taken it to the grave. Well, true, but perhaps they're laying down millions of bottles that will last thousands of years. Who knows? Anyway, it's nice. I like it. <laughs> and it's not assaulting me in any way. But there's no depravity, though. No depravity, no. It's a bit classier than that. It's trying to seduce me, I think, rather than to brave me. Trying to seduce you into the grave. <laughs> Although it's an interesting segue, uh -huh. if you really shoehorn it in. Which you're going to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to Dr. Sinclair's work, 
he talks about red wine and the effects, the components of red wine. That you you heard the thing of red wine has antioxidants and yeah, and the stuff that's good for you and blah 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 blah. Yeah, so he talks a little bit about that. What I'm doing right now is actually increasing my lifespan. Jury's still out, maybe on that one, but I think there's probably a uh, I think there's probably a borderline as well. One mouthful a day or something, not three bottles. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> He obtained his PhD in molecular genetics at the University of New South Wales in Sydney in 1995. So he's in a field that's kind of generically called anti-aging, but as apparently as scientists, they don't call it that. They call it uh, aging science or longevity science. Yeah, because anti-aging makes it sound like it's the Pons Institute or something. Yeah, yeah, it's some kind of miracle cream. (laughs) Now, one of the things that I I thought was interesting, so he... um, I first stumbled across him when he did a speech or did a, like a, a webinar talk for a company that I work at, and I just found him fascinating. And I think I mentioned him in a previous episode when we talked about that. One of the things that I found really cool about him, so he's, he's only 53, but the thing that's been driving him for a long time, he says, if we look at things like diseases like cancer and dementia and diabetes and all of these other diseases, if you get any of these things, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, that's no good. We'll have to do something about that. But as you get older, essentially you go to the doctor and you say, I've got this wrong with me. And the doctors go, yeah, you're old. You're supposed to get sick. That's how it works. You just keep collecting these ailments until eventually you die. And uh, that's called aging. Mm. And so his kind of thing is, well, why do we just accept that that's the case? There's 90% of all the sicknesses and suffering in the world comes from aging, but nobody seems to care about it. So his idea and his, uh, his kind of driving thing is what can we do to see about identifying and decoding, I guess, what causes us to age and what can we do to change that? Okay. He's not saying that we could necessarily be immortal, but he's saying that it's quite reasonable that we could expect to increase our lifespans. And like I say, he's he's already said the first person to live to 150 has already been born. And now a word from our sponsors. Since life bubbled up from the primordial gloop, evolution took control. Over eons, humans emerged with a thirst for knowledge and invention. We developed writing built megastructures and exalted our gods gods. but we also did some really dumb stuff (laughs) we sacrificed people we sacrificed children and finally we even sacrificed our gods light bulb moments in human history tell us the story of these big ideas and the stories of the wild and crazy people who conceived them it's available now, everywhere you buy books. But remember, it's not the history you were taught in school. Quick sidebar there. Just want to step back a little bit because you mentioned about the, the doctors saying that, you know, oh, well, you're old. You're supposed to get sick. Mm. You get the other doctors like my, my parents had. Javago. You got something wrong. No, 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 no. Travago, Dr. Travago. <laughs> Go on a trip. No, who would say, you got something wrong? Here's some drugs. Mm. And to the point where they were just taking this incredible cocktail of drugs. Yeah. 
I went, I went to the doctor the other week. I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I don't think I did, actually, because they looked at me in a totally different way because when they saw I was 60, because previously I'd been 59, and they were like mm. just talking to me quite normally. Suddenly I was 60, and they were doing all these calculations and saying to me, oh, well, you know, um, your blood pressure is slightly high, and we take into account that you've got sleep apnea and blah, blah, blah. You've got an 8% chance of getting heart disease in the next five years. And I went, oh, 8%, that's all right. And the doctor went, well, it's kind of mid-range. It's not good as we'd hoped for, but, you know, obviously if you got to 16% chance, we'd be having to look at some interventions. And I went, okay, well, fair enough. But they were looking at me like I was a science experiment, things that, you know, what can they, what can they shove into me to make me better? I, wasn't, I didn't go in there being sick. I was going in there for another reason. Mm. So that was almost like they were trying to find ways to give me drugs. Sometimes there's doctors say you're just old and you have to live with it. And then sometimes doctors going, oh, you're old, but we've got a cure for this particular part of being old and that particular part of being old, and we'll give you all those things, and then you go fucking crazy <laughs> because all these, things, all these things interact in different ways and make you a bit nuts. Anyway, yeah. sorry. That was my sidebar. Let's get back to Dr. Uh, Sinclair. Sinclair. Yeah, so I think uh, my my apologies to uh, to Dr. Sinclair if you're listening to this and I misquote you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's also kind of what he's saying is that it's you go to the doctor and the doctor says, "Oh yeah, you you know you're supposed to get sick at this age, so here's drugs and here's whatever to to you know prolong it or make it a bit worse." But it's kind of like you go in and in your case, so they say, "Oh, you know, you might have a eight percent chance of developing heart disease. Take these pills." And so then they can go, okay, well, that one we've put off for a while. So that'll give you the opportunity to have something else go wrong yeah. that we'll then deal with. And then you kind of get those nailed. And then, well, that gives us your body the opportunity for something else to go wrong. Yeah. So what he's saying is, is that what we should be able to do or what we should be looking at doing is if you come in and they say there's an 8% chance of heart disease is to go, here, take this pill. And it will actually change your genome and your DNA and will reduce your biological age backwards so that you're actually no longer at risk. You'll be a frog, but you won't be at risk of heart disease. <laughs> that works out well in the, uh, in the more princely areas. <laughs> you need to find some princess to kiss you and you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I don't think, I think the re you regressing to a frog pill is probably phase two. <laughs> okay. At the moment, he's uh, he's doing stuff with mice. So, um, well, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> and moving on, he's also, uh, <laughs> he's also published a New York Times best-selling book on aging called "Lifespan: Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to." Subtitle: Doing Stuff with Mice. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the illustrated edition. Uh, for Doctor Sinclair's lawyers, feel free to contact us via <laughs> about social media or email. Disclaimer, nothing that we say in this podcast has any relation to any other. I'm sure he does nothing with mice that's not legal. Some of the things that I read about make me go, oh, it's a bit. Like, I'm sure it's legal and ethical and everything, but it just it makes me go, oh, like, I'm not a huge fan of mice. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> just some of the things sound a bit, oh, that doesn't sound right. That's <laughs> 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 wrong. <laughs> <laughs> not Richard Gears type stuff, but <laughs> that was gerbils, and apparently that was not true. But anyway, yes, yes, that was not true. Uh, one of the things that he talks about, so he's very big on cell related 
stuff. The Reader's Digest version, or for the any millennials watching the TL slash TL semicolon DR version, is that there's in our DNA, we have, sorry, we have a DNA and our DNA has proteins attached to it and it's wrapped up in this thing called an epigenome. <laughs> look how uh, look how impressive I sound. <laughs> Very impressive. The epigenome, not to be confused with an epipen. <laughs> the epigenome. Or epiglottis. Uh, I can't think of any other epis. Epicenter. Epigram. Episode. Doesn't really work. Episode. <laughs> no, no, another sidebar before you move on. Mm. I am so old I had to look up what TL semicolon DR was. And now I know. <laughs> For the benefit of other listeners who, uh, who might be as old as you. Too long, didn't read. Which doesn't really apply when you're talking, but <laughs> anyway, we've got the epigenome that's kind of wrapped around the, the DNA, which has got the protein things on it. The example that he uses, which I quite like, is if you think of a DNA is kind of digital. Right. So it's got four things related to yep, it. Yep. I didn't read any further than that, but uh, the epigenome is kind of analog. Actually, saying this out loud, it made sense when he was using it as an analogy. Now I'm saying it out loud. This bit doesn't really make sense to me. But anyway, the idea is the epigenome is the bit that says to the DNA, this is the gene that you want turned on and this is the bit that you want turned off to create a cell. Right. So kind of like um, like where they, they can create stem cells, it's by kind of turning a whole bunch of things off. So it just goes back to being like a blank. Cell. So the, now, what the epigenome does is kind of tells the, the cells what to turn on and what to turn off appropriately. And he says it's a bit like a CD. So we have a CD. The epigenome is the bit that is the CD reader, and the DNA is the the CD. And so what happens is that the DNA gets scratched, for want of a better term. Yeah, yeah. So the epigenome misreads it and then doesn't turn on the same bits as it replicates it as it was before. So it kind of gets a different version okay. of it. And so that then, as it keeps redoing it and re- regenerating that to create new cells, it creates a scratched version of them. And then that scratch then causes more scratches and it becomes progressively worse until eventually it's kind of not turning on the right things that it's supposed to be turning on and not turning off the things it's supposed to be turning off. So it's like probably, um, if you remember, if you remember back to the olden days when we used to have cassette tapes. Yes, I was just thinking this. Carry on. With a cassette tape, you would, uh, if you remember back to the days, you would record things off the radio, which was like a uh, like podcasts, but was actually live. <laughs> you only got one shot at it. So you'd record something, and then if you made a copy of it, it was not quite as good. So you lost quality because there was a whole bunch of losses and stuff like that. That's from what I can gather. That's kind of the, a similar sort of thing. Or like doing a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Yeah, you lose you yeah. lose resolution, you lose clarity. Totally get that. Yeah, yeah. I think presented way ahead of its time in the uh, in the documentary with Michael Keaton, Multiplicity. Aha, uh-huh. yes, yes. Where he uh, he makes many copies of himself. But digital ones keep the same are the same every single time. But analog ones are the ones yes. that go bad. The, the more you copy them, the worse they get. Yeah, that's your analogy. Doctor Sinclair is, is listening. He's going, "Oh fuck's sake! What are you doing to my career? Why, why can't I just call these guys in on these guys and tell them what I'm talking about?" <laughs> Do you read anything? Anyway, so what he says is that if you can 
fix the epigenome to allow you to kind of polish the CD to get all the scratches out of it. Right. When it replicates, it's just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It doesn't actually deteriorate and get older. Okay. So you're kind of talking about the cure for cancer. No, I don't think you mentioned Dennis Leary at all. <laughs> no, but if you, if you can stop cells from sort of making bad copies of each other, which is what cancer is. Basically, it's, it's copies getting wrecked and then reproducing mm. themselves further and further and getting worse and worse and then become cancer. Then if you can stop that happening, you're curing cancer, apart from anything that he's talking about. Yes. Yes. So, and in fact, just looking at my, just looking at my research, and uh, one of the bullet points I've made is, they hope their research will lead to new treatments for age-related diseases such as diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's and heart disease. Cool. Well, we like them. That's the uh, the David Sinclair and his gang at the Harvard Medical School. Not again. Not <laughs> sure if "gang" is the appropriate collective noun for scientists, but yeah, uh, sure. Why not? Well, if they get the flick knives out on the uh, the cells, <laughs> the cells that are degrading, then have at them. Yeah, that would work. So you're saying that aging is this degradation of cells as well. So the fact that our faces are getting wrinkles and our hair is falling out is because the cells are degrading. And if we can stop the cells, get go back to the original version, then we'd all go back to being young. Yeah, essentially. Okay, for someone who's already aged, I mean, obviously this is probably a, a, a hypothetical question they may not even have been able to answer. Does it, mm. Do they mention, say, say for someone who's got to the point where they've aged to 60, like some hypothetical person who no one knows about, can they look at the DNA and go, okay, this is what his DNA should be. If he, if he was... 21 his dna would have been this can they then re-engineer it to be like that because so can they reverse aging or can they just stop aging that's what i'm saying i guess he's looking at reversing aging okay i don't know whether they've actually managed to do that in mice as yet but what they have been able to do is things like there was one mouse they did something to its optic nerve to replicate an age related optic nerve disease Hence, hence the uh, ethical questions you're bringing up earlier. Yeah, that's the, probably the least of it. But uh, yeah, so they gave this uh, this mouse essentially what would be an age-related optical disease, uh, damage to the nerve, and then did the, the stuff to them and, and gave them these pills, and it actually regenerated the nerve, which was is kind of unheard of. So, previous so hope to people who have like blindness, and hope to people who've got spinal injuries. Yeah, it's essentially, um, uh, if it was severed, probably not, uh, where it gets a bit dark. Now, I preface this with, clearly this has all had to have been approved by somebody. Dr. Joseph Mengele. Well, I was going to say, you're clearly not God, because <laughs> they, um, they actually grow human tissue in the lab. Right. And they've engineered it with stem cells into tiny mini brains. <laughs> and there's actually, there's actually in, uh, in several of his talks, he shows slides away. Do they look like brains? They're kind of a little bit. Okay. Like little tiny brains in a, a dish. So they're quite similar to human brains. Uh, they've, got, uh, they've got electrical activity and then they can attach electrodes to them. To torture them. Well, this is where it gets really uncomfortable. So what they can do is they think that they can measure the activity going in these brains and they actually believe that they dream and have thoughts. Oh, that is weird. That's horrific. 
That is weird. Yeah, that's uh, that's Steve Martin, man with two brains level <laughs> stuff. So what they do is, because that's not enough. <laughs> they taught them. <laughs> well, they go, let's disrupt the epigenome and age the brains. So they age the tiny brains by messing around with the epigenome. Give them Alzheimer's. Well, yeah, I think, yeah possibly, essentially, yeah. Uh, and then they do some things with them that will reset the age of them and they get their ability to think back again. So the electric, electrical activity comes back. God. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. It's also, it is, I can see the horrific part you're talking about, but it is incredible. But I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess you've got to define what, what dreaming is. That's some weird shit. Yeah, it's some weird shit. Some weird Frankenstein shit or Dr. Frankenstein shit. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. So, yes, so they've done that with, um, they've also done it with mice. So there's an interesting experiment where they've got twin, uh, two mice that are essentially twins, and they've just disrupted the epigenome in one of them and in a 10-month period have caused it to age the equivalent of 50 or 60 years compared to its its brother or sister that ages at normal speed. Again, not horrific at all. No, no. But what they can do then is they can actually do stuff to rejuvenate them. I don't think they could actually make the old one like reverse it all the way back to being young again, although maybe they do. Not a Benjamin Button mouse. They could do. Again, didn't read that far. So <laughs> I mean, I'm not the best person to be talking about this. I don't, it's probably an appropriate time for a disclaimer of uh, don't take any of the stuff that we're talking about uh, in this episode or probably in this podcast in its entirety. Yes. Uh, with anything less or more than a grain of salt uh, and do your own research before you start creating your own tiny brains in the lab. <laughs> Having said that, I have heard sort of parts of this before. So this right. is not this is not something that's out of, out of the question. It sounds like he's done, like gone further than I'd heard of, but I had heard some of this stuff before. So it's, it's not out, out of the realms of what's possible, it seems. No, no. And, and this is all part of the, you know, he's, he's saying that the, the first person to live to 150 is already alive. So he, with the mouse, they've done the memory thing, the, uh, the brain thing with mice, and they can rejuvenate their brain to take their brains back to half their age, and they get their ability to learn again. Okay. That's, that's yeah. pretty amazing. I was, I was, this is, I mean, I don't want to totally derail this, but I was reading something the other week. And it was kind of like a... Uh, oh, we're reading now. We're going we're to come up with reading things. Crazy shit. And it was, it was kind of like a... Uh, I, may have, I may have been listening to a podcast or a, an audio book. I'm not sure. I can't remember where I got this from. It was basically talking about like a world where aging had been cured and talking about how people would change, where they would become less risk-taking because to die in an accident would be the only way you could die. Mm. So therefore, you would be less likely to take risks be- unless you were somebody who wanted to die because the only way you could die would be in a car accident or be f- you know, falling off a, a balcony or whatever. So it actually was saying that it would, uh, yeah, that would ch- change people's outlook on life and change the way they looked at things. So, I mean, like if you're my age and you think, like for instance, I'm flying overseas in three months' time. If you were afraid of flying, which I kind of am a little bit, and you think, you look at the airline I'm flying on, which we won't mention, you think, hmm, there's a chance that, a minute chance, but a chance that that I could be in a plane accident. 
Now, if I was someone who thought I could never die, I might rethink that idea. I might go, well, that's a that's a risk that I need to take because, you know, I might live forever if I didn't take this flight. So therefore mm-hmm. it, you would you would make different choices based on the fact that you knew you wouldn't die unless you had a fatal accident. And that would also have an impact on because you would eventually get to the point, I would imagine, where you would go, I can't deal with this anymore and I wanna die. That also was 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 covered in that. And there were people who in the end I think I think the character in the book, one of the characters at least, basically said they didn't want to live anymore, and not mm. not because they were suicidal, but they'd lost somebody they loved. They had all the experiences they wanted to have. They probably lived a couple of lifetimes, what we would call a lifetime, a couple of times over. They were done. They were they didn't want to do it anymore, and they wanted you know their, the the, mm. the end. So that would be the you know something you. They'd have to consider, and obviously suicide is illegal, and no one's suggesting that suicide is the answer to anything. But if if life is eternal, oh, eternal! Sorry, I thought you said if life is a turtle. If life was a turtle, well, turtles turtles do live a long time. That's true. Yeah, longer than frogs, who we were talking about earlier. Yeah. There is also some things around that he talks about around not only the physical but the social and the um, like infrastructure and civilization and economy and world well, population. Yeah. So there's like a lot of considerations around it that yeah. uh, they would need to kind of get sorted. I don't know how you would do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't have to worry about it because uh, I'm probably not going to live to 150. No, I don't think the first person who lived to 150 will be either of us. <laughs> not at the rate I'm going with this beer. I'm going to die in a plane accident in three months' time. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the other thing that he says that we actually have a natural defense. Like we have natural defenses um, in response to essentially aging. Oh, that's the other, sorry, that's the other. Um, so the other thing he says is that he considers aging to be a disease. Right. So rather than just something inevitable, it's a disease in the same way as anything else disease related is a disease. And so He's actually petitioning for some of the, because some of the medication you can take that can help improve longevity already, I think is prohibitively expensive. So he's actually campaigning governments globally to have aging listed as a disease. So it goes on the, like essentially the PBS. Right. So those type of medications become affordable. Yeah, but is the government going to pay for that? Because I mean, they're, they're going to have—they're the ones who are going to have to foot the bill for the extra infrastructure. And I mean, they'll—they'll they'll save money on aged care and all that kind of stuff. I suppose that there might be a, a swings and roundabouts kind of thing there. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it would stop aging enough that you'd be going on swings and roundabouts. But <laughs> he uh, to talk a little bit about what he says that we can do to stop ourselves from aging a little bit more. Apparently, you know how. You're mentioning before about red wine and antioxidants. Yes, yes. Well, apparently that's all been disproved. Oh, good. Apparently antioxidants do bugger all. Excellent. Sorry to the antioxidant lobby. Have your lawyers contact us through the same people as the other ones. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, apparently antioxidants don't do anything for aging. It's the oxidants that are good. I think it's the antiox is the, uh, <laughs> the thing. If you get gored by an ox, <laughs> it's not going to be good for you. No, that's not going to help. So... There's particular things, there's particular molecules that he's identified that actually make a difference. And some of these are our own natural defense in response to aging anyway. So I'm not going to try and pronounce what the 
things. But so there's one called mTOR, which is a body response to fasting. And so right. one of the things he says is that if you um, putting your body under a certain level of adversity is actually healthy for you because when you're in adversity, these molecules in your body who apparently do fuck all unless you're in adversity, <laughs> they start to fight harder to keep your body safe and healthy. This is like a natural kind of response for it. Okay. So things like this, EBDOR is a response to fasting. AMPK, which isn't a um, Myers-Briggs thing. So that's a response <laughs> to low energy or a lack of sugar. So the other things he says is you want to keep your blood sugar as low as possible, but he does make it clear, you want to keep your, your blood sugar as low as possible, but not to the point where you faint. <laughs> oh. Handy to know. And then there's this other thing called situins, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's basically it's a response to everything. And so all of these, those three, if you fast, so he only eats one meal a day, I think. He keeps his blood sugar really low. He has a whole bunch of supplements to kick off these situins, uh, and that all helps keep the epigenome doing what it's supposed to be doing and keeps it all safe uh, and organized. So did, did you see, when you saw this guy speaking, did you see him physically? Or did, you see his, did you see his face? Max, Max Headroom style. <laughs> but you saw him. Do we know how old he is? He's 53. What did he look at? How old did he look? Probably mid-40s. I don't think he's, okay. he didn't have the same, that's surprising how old he is look that Michael, Dr. Rose had from Diet Slice. Right. But he's, yeah, he look, kind of looks younger than his age. Okay. Uh, and he's certainly healthier, apparently. So all these things activate particular genes, which are known as Yamanaka genes or Yamanaka factors, which is a, <laughs> the, uh, named after the person who I was going to say invented them, but that's probably not the case because they were called the God genes. But the person who discovered them, uh, right. that can re, uh, erase signs of aging and restore cells' original identity. In the research that they did, they found mice that received, that received the treatment lived 30% longer than the control group, showed improvements in their vision, muscle strength, kidney function, and cognition. So did they eventually die of age, these mice? No, I think they um, strangled them for fun. <laughs> That's probably not true. I've got no evidence to, <laughs> no evidence to support that. Really, it's probably unlikely. That's what they do. Do you think, CJ? We're also in an environment where they're creating mini brains. So I suppose <laughs> if they can dick around with their age, maybe they just keep doing it backwards and forwards until eventually they get bored. Leave me alone. It's like a, um, being in a, uh, a, an ongoing loop of Back to the Future 2. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Oh, so the other, so the sirtuins, the proteins that help our cells work better and live longer and they damage they protect ourselves from damage inflammation and stress now there's a molecule this is where it all starts to sound a bit dodgy so oh, okay it's not but quite unquote dodgy but not really well it, it well it's not dodgy at all but if you've got a five-year-old sense of humor like i do because there's <laughs> a molecule called nad <laughs> count me out of the five-year-old sense of humor so you're saying this this affection nads <laughs> <laughs> if you've got big enough balls you can age to whatever age you want <laughs> says andrew tate <laughs> uh and i can't find i had written down what nad stood for i still nearly spat out my shiraz just then <laughs> <laughs> we're such children as identified in uh 
I think in last episode, <laughs> listening back to our, our stuff, it's essentially like a 12-year-olds who've <laughs> just discovered a Playboy magazine and except that I just keep going off topic. Well, I think I, there's, a, there's a, something in one of my books where I was talking about uh, early humans and I had to say, and the less said about Homer erectus in front of a 12-year-old boy, the better. <laughs> Pretty much the same as Nads. I think there's probably, well, I think there's probably a couple of reasons for that. <laughs> so Nads, or Nad, Nad Plus, which I don't think is the way you pronounce it, but uh, it's a molecule that gives energy to our cells, helps sirtuins work. And the NAD levels go down as we get older. <laughs> it's gravity. <laughs> <laughs> Which make the sirtuins less active uh, and our cells more vulnerable to aging. So essentially what they, they try and do is boost NAD levels, which boosts sirtuin activity, which allows everything to work properly. Now, it's using molecules like NMN, which I, um, again, I wrote down somewhere but don't find. Uh, M&M? Yeah, so you inject M M&M and M straight into your uh, straight into your veins, into your DNA. Guess it's back. <laughs> there you go, M and M's uh, M and M's management committee, uh, management group. There's a marketing opportunity for you. Yes, because it makes sense. Because it would be um, it'd like it'd be a good celebrity endorsement. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> yes. One of the other molecules is called metformin. So you you haven't met. One of the workers, you bet the foreman. Yeah, yeah. The other one, and this is the one that's in uh, in red wine. When I read it, I read it as reversatrol. But it <laughs> made me suspicious. But then I, when I actually read what it says, it's uh, resveratrol. Okay, let me have a, a mouthful of resveratrol. Now, the thing with resveratrol... Mm, tastes good. <laughs> ...is the resveratrol in red wine... Helps boost your NAD levels. <laughs> I can feel it happening right and, now. <laughs> which and therefore your sirtuins and blah 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 blah, uh, which is why they say it can have an effect on health and aging and shit. But you would apparently have to drink a hundred glasses of it to get a reasonable enough level for it to make a difference. Okay, well I'm no expert, but I think that would kill you. <sighs> Let's find out. <laughs> Uh, and I would assume that would be a per day thing as well. <laughs> you can live forever, but you can't afford to live because you can't work because you're totally pissed the entire time. You, you can live for as long as it, as long as you can survive drinking a hundred glasses of wine a day. It's a bit like um, <laughs> a bit like Guinness. It's apparently you can survive on Guinness, but you would have to drink so much of it that you wouldn't be able to survive that. So there's enough enough nutrients in it that you can survive on it, but you would have to drink so much that it would kill you. God, thinking roundabout. Okay. So they're stimulated naturally when we don't eat and when we exercise. And if we eat a large hamburger, we shut them down again, which is not good. But the way that I've actually written that when I was taking my notes is they're stimulated naturally when we don't eat. And when we exercise and if we eat a large hamburger, we shut them down again. <laughs> so while that's, a, uh, that's helpful for my new hobby of coming up with reasons not to go for a run, uh, that's, I think, factually incorrect. So, yes, so they're stimulated naturally when we don't eat and when we exercise. If we eat too much, then that shuts it, shuts it down. Okay. So what we want to do is find a way to keep them turned on. And <laughs> he says things like fasting and the other two things that I've mentioned that I've, forgot, I've forgotten already. Okay, but to, to, just to, uh, to praise this, uh, you want to turn on your nads. <sighs> yeah, pretty well, yeah. 
<laughs> so, or uh, yes. So the best way to do that is to drink a hundred glasses of red wine a day. Okay. Well, this all sounds very promising. <laughs> Maybe that's how they came up with the idea of <laughs> after the fiftieth glass of wine. Let's make some little <laughs> brains. <laughs> then we'll make them old. Then we'll make them young again. <laughs> that does sound. I mean, we, I know we went there with the, the, the mice to analogy a couple of episodes ago. And we were uh, previewing this episode, but basically they're just fucking around with things. And Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, um, lot of dicking around with things that you probably uh, shouldn't. But uh, better to be doing that to um, mice and tiny Frankenstein brains than trying it out with people. Well, I suppose, but if you've got a person who was very, very, very old, who went, you know what, I'm prepared to take one for the team I got, what do I got? On, on, on the chance that I might get younger or might arrest the ageing process. I reckon there's a certain point, if they actually sign off on this and, and, and volunteer for this process, why not? If you're 80 or 85 or 90 and you've got, you know, who knows how long to go, why not have a crack at it? Why not drink 100 glasses of wine a day? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that's posing some ethical questions that are far too deep for me after only two beers um, and a hard and a long day at work. So he's <laughs> he's trying to essentially get well. He's essentially trying to get a uh, hundred glasses of red wine into a pill. Okay, I think I'm paraphrasing. That may not be medically accurate. I'm assuming they're taking the alcohol out of it. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's <laughs> they're possibly not doing anything red wine related. It's more the the molecule in it that's having right. the but anyway, they've managed to find some stuff or who knows, maybe they built it in their garage when they were building the brains, whatever. <laughs> but when they put them into mice, the mice were much healthier. They didn't get heart disease, protected against Alzheimer's, protected against cancer. They even started human trials. Okay. The molecules appeared safe, but kind of didn't really understand this bit. So, uh, so Dr. Sinclair, please feel free to reach out and explain this. They were doing clinical trials. So his, him and his gang were doing clinical trials. Back to the gang, yes, okay. Uh, but then this uh, pharmaceutical company came out with a scientific paper that said, fucking wrong, <laughs> and everything got shut down. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so it's like everything was put on hold, and, yeah, I, which I kind of didn't get. No, I don't get that either. So it's wrong because it was, it was ethically wrong. No, no, no. It's like it I, I couldn't really understand because, and again, Maybe if I'd gone to page two, it would have explained it. But <laughs> essentially, he was saying that he was doing clinical trial. They were doing clinical trials on this reverse control, whatever it is, molecule. And then a pharmaceutical company said, oh, no, the science is wrong of that. It's, uh, right. it's not reverse control. It has nothing to do with aging. That's all. It's all incorrect. And so uh-huh. clinical, the clinical trials were put on hold and kind of everything fell over. But then he says he pulled together a, a, another gang of 30 scientists uh, and so they set to work to understand what was true. And what we've discovered is that res- resveratrol really does work. Uh-huh. So I don't kind of get, I don't really understand all of how that works, but essentially what it comes down to is he's working on and restarted clinical trials on having a pill that supports the sirtuin thing that... Um, Helps keep your AP genome shiny. Okay. Yeah. And he says uh, one of the quotes that I quite liked was, I believe we're going to look back at today like we do 
with people from 100 years ago when somebody would die from an infected splinter, which in those days uh, was perfectly natural. That makes sense. That does make sense. Hmm. But again, it, it does it does bring up the whole idea of where all these people, if people don't die and people get getting born, where are they going? Where are all these people going to live? Which is, you know, that's that's the thing. And I mean, that's great. I'm, I'm not against it. I'm not saying don't do it. But I'm saying there's a whole lot of things that need to get sorted out before you just allow the whole human race not to die. Yes, I don't think we're uh, I don't think we're prepared to take that on in this uh, in this. Uh, imagine imagine if you were someone who had something that isn't cured by this particular treatment, like some kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say anything that's going to upset people, but a, a, a particular mental condition or something where you're very unhappy all the time and you've been told you're going to live forever. Mm. And that would actually be something that could you know, be even worse. Mm. Yeah, good point, yeah. So if that's the case. I don't know. Probably don't take any of the uh, supplements that David Sinclair takes. For sure. Such as? I mean, I guess, I guess you could choose not to take anything. That's the bottom line. I guess mm. you could say, well, you know what? My life is miserable enough. I don't need to make it prolong it. I will just live my normal, you know, four score years and 10 or whatever it is, three score years, whatever that, that say is. Four score years and 10 sounds like a lot. Mm. <laughs> you potentially described my attitude by about three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> Of course, the other thing is, look, I think of all the other things that's going to happen. Yeah, obviously, you couldn't retire. No. Retirement would suddenly be – you couldn't say retire at whatever age you can afford to retire by and then live for the next million years on your retirement fund. Mm. You'd have to work forever. Simply like living in Australia now. Yeah. Then you'd have to think about, like, would I want to be a teacher for the eternity? Probably not. Uh, I would probably want to find other things to do. What would I do? I'd have to retrain. I mean, there would be so many sort of problems. I'm not trying to be a naysayer because, I mean, it sounds great, but it would mean society would have to totally rearrange itself. Yes. You'd have to have time. You might have to save like a superannuation or something for time to retrain, like get a university degree or do whatever it is to, to retrain to do a different job. So you could then, you know, be go from being a teacher like I am now to being a brain surgeon or whatever it is you could manage to do. Although we kind of society's doing that now. That's true. Like back in back in our day, uh, you kind of when you started in the workforce, you would have you'd expect to have maybe one job or two jobs through your entire career. Whereas now it's the Gen Zs because they've got such a short attention span. They're looking at changing jobs every two years and you know, careers every. Four and a half or something. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I retrained totally at th- I started at thirty seven to to go from being in the printing industry to being a teacher. But that was hard. It would be great to, to if I could have had enough money to say, okay, well, I'm going to take four years off to study. Would have been much easier than trying to work full time and do a full time university mm. degree at the same time. Yes. I don't think that's something that people would want to do. You'd have to have some way of building in a a gap where you could. Retrain gap decade. The gap decade. I think we're taking on far too much. Oh, I guess absolutely. But it is. It's an implication of this that would have to be considered eventually. Yes, yes. And he does highlight that. He does say that it's not just fun and games, making brains in a lab, <laughs> torturing, torturing mice. mice. Disclaimer: He doesn't torture mice. <laughs> not that we're aware of. But he does make brains. Yeah, and then tortures them apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Again, disclaimer: there is no there is no torturing going on. 
in any of his just mental dis- disintegration. Well, actually, yes, that's true because yeah, he does do that. He does mentally disintegrate mice and brains, uh, and then brings them back again. <laughs> Presumably, just the brains in the jars, not the brains of the people that he works with. This is all going <laughs> going far off track. Yeah. So his supplement regime, he has uh, quite a few. You can find this on the internet. But so he has the re- resveratrol. Yes. Uh, so these are all things you can buy. Uh, so he has that. He has NMN. NMN. I could buy M&Ms anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he has uh, one gram of NMN daily. Feisten. I don't know what that does. Well, I've got to go into all the... Makes you feisty. Yeah. Uh, quercetin. Makes you queer. <laughs> unfortunate segue. Spermidine. <laughs> of which he has one gram daily. And now a word from our sponsors. Colin Calls the Help Desk is a hilarious and relatable take on the absurdities of office life. Follow Colin the Koala, hold questions, as he dives into his first job and meets Graham, a cynical employee who's just hanging out for redundancy, Bob, his continually disorganized boss, and Brenda, who seems to spend most of her time telling everyone how busy she is. So I, I have questions. That's good. Questions are good. One of my questions is, okay, you've said the main character is Colin the Koala. So is the Koala a nickname like Nicky the Llama or Oblong Doug? Nope. Colin the Koala is 100% Koala. But aren't koalas generally naked, drunk and spend all their time sleeping or catching chlamydia? No, you're thinking of Brian from accounting. (laughs) Uh, Did you go to university to become a writer? No, I didn't. I don't have any formal qualifications. <laughs> you see what I did there? But I'm <laughs> It's Colin the Koala. Form, no formal writing qualifications. That's the kind of high-level, highbrow humour <laughs> that you'll find in Colin Calls. Actually, it's, it, seriously, it's uh, it is better than that. So if you <laughs> <been> in... <laughs> available on Amazon in all the backs, hardback like anybody's buying a hardback except for me uh, <laughs> <laughs> paperback and razorback <laughs> yes it's uh the disadvantage to the razorback version is that when you <laughs> <laughs> when it arrives it charges through your lounge room at about uh 25 kilometers an hour and uh gores you to death before you get to read it so it's not it's not one of the best-selling versions I'll have to say. But uh, uh, yes, all versions available on the Amazon. I'd love to hear your reviews. But it's always important to remember... Leave a five-oink review. (laughs) I'm writing this review for my hospital bed. (laughs) I enjoyed Colin Calls the Help Desk. I slightly regret the Razorback edition. (laughs) Once my groin heals... Looking forward to book two. In in paperback. <laughs> 4.5 stars. <laughs> it lost 0.5 of a star because delivery was late. But when it came, it really came. <laughs> <laughs> Colin calls the help desk. <laughs> Available on Amazon. Well, so, so, Jace, given all that information, uh, what... 
question were we trying to answer? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure we've answered the question, can you read Frankenstein one too many times? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I suppose the question could, could have been something like, you know, can humans live forever? Yeah. Well, it could have also been, uh, <laughs> can you dick around with mice quite a bit and create <laughs> funny brains in a Petri dish? That's probably more pertinent. I, I, I agree. <laughs> Well, according to uh, according to Dr. Sinclair, potentially we could live forever. Uh, whether it's a good idea or not is another matter entirely. Well, given uh, humans are humans, I doubt it very much. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that actually as humans are humans, we've given a situation where we could live forever, we'd work out a way to wipe ourselves out. Yeah, and, and also find ways to torture small animals. <laughs> There's always time for that. <laughs> Disclaimers, any of uh, David Sinclair's lawyers, contact us. Uh, you can get us at theoldfolkshome69 at gmail.com, which will give you a also a good indication of the level of seriousness and, uh, uh, and credibility that we put into <laughs> this podcast. And it's also important to remember, don't torture tiny animals or big animals. No small animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yes. At least by us. <laughs> Not so much in the experiments, but... <laughs> yes, so don't torture tiny animals, big animals, uh, and don't create tiny brains. Yeah, unless you really know what you're doing. Hey, kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> I don't want to get an email from somebody saying, I listened to your David Sinclair podcast and I created myself a uh, some tiny brains in, the, in my basement. My son overheard me listening to the podcast. I used to be concerned about him, what he used to uh, watch on the internet. Now he's making tiny brains in the basement. <laughs> I blame you. That's probably, it would probably be a reasonable response, actually. So seeing we're in the uh, in the this exciting innovative season two of yours, yeah. uh, we should probably do a new intro and a new end intro outro. Yeah, we should probably do one of those as well. So, um, what is it we say in the outro? Oh, I don't know. I never listened that far. <laughs> uh, there's something about uh, you should like, rate, review, and follow all episodes so you don't miss out on any of this exciting. Brilliant content. Absolutely life-changing content, I agree. Or if you've got an interesting question or story, drop us a line at theoldfolkshome69 at gmail.com. And, of course, all our other social accounts are some weird combination of old folks home and 69, so... <laughs> hey, it seemed funny at the time, all right? I regret it now. Say goodnight, CJ. Goodbye, CJ. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. And that's the perfect image. <laughs>